Well, what a joy to be here with you this morning and hear you sing like that. It's a great, great honor to be here. What a, what a joy, what fun it is uh, to sing about something that's absolutely true. Uh, let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and open up to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Now, if you do not have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen in just a few moments. Or maybe unfamiliar with the Bible, that's okay. There's also a paperback copy in front of you in the seat pocket there. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that, and uh, that can be yours as our gift to you this morning. Uh, the word reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to exchange to exchange hostility for friendship, to take a relationship that's broken or severed and even is at odds with one another and take that relationship and to restore that to a place of wholeness. The idea or the word behind that is the word reconciliation. Now there's an incredible story that I want to share with you briefly that pictures this idea of reconciliation before we open God's Word in just a minute. Maybe some of you are familiar with this story. Maybe some of you have heard bits and pieces of it. But over 50 years ago, five American missionaries were brutally murdered in the Amazon rainforest by a tribe of Indians known as the Alka Indians. Now these missionaries were there because they wanted to take the message of Christ to this previously unreached tribe. So they planted their lives there and they invested their lives there and they began to build a relationship and a a friendship, if you will, with the Alka Indians. And over time, they invested their lives there. Over the ensuing days, they made several friendly face-to-face encounters with the Indians and began to develop trust and in a sense maybe let their guard down just a little bit. And much to the shock of the world, on January 8th, 1956, all five missionaries were brutally attacked and murdered by the very tribe of people that they were there to serve, to help and to share the message of the gospel. Now, in those days, 50 years ago, this made front page headlines all over the world. It was on the front of Time, Life magazine. The world was really in shock that this had happened to these five American missionaries. But what happened later... It was even more shocking. Somewhere around two years later, several family members of the murdered missionaries went back to the rainforest and back to the Alka Indians and planted their lives there again. And they began to invest in these Indians and began to serve them and to reach out to them. And over time, even had the opportunity to extend forgiveness to the very ones who had murdered their father or their brother or whatever the case was. And as they were there, they began to invest and they began to offer the message of forgiveness. And over time, even through this picture of kindness and through this picture of grace, many of the Alka Indians came to receive Christ as Lord and Savior through the witness of these family members. And before long, these family members of these deceased missionaries even begin to welcome tribe members into their own family. And I've met some of these grandchildren. Some of them have even been to this church. Descendants of people like Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. And their descendants today, even to the point today, that the grandchildren of murdered missionary Nate Saint 
consider Minke, he's a tribal leader, he's the very one that speared Nate Saint, and now his grandchildren refer to the very one as grandfather, and have welcomed this man into their family and into their home. They chose to exchange hostility, a situation of enemies, they exchange hostility for friendship. And the picture there is one of reconciliation. So what we're going to talk about this morning for just a few minutes, the idea of reconciliation, exchanging hostility for friendship. Now, all of us in this room can relate to strained relationships. We can relate to strained relationships maybe between husband and wife, Maybe between brother and sister. Maybe between boss and employee. Whatever the case may be. You can relate to strained relationships. Maybe your relationship is strained even this morning. Trying to get everybody ready and get everybody dressed and get them in the van and get here to church. Maybe things are a little bit strained. Or maybe you're in a marital relationship right now that's incredibly strained. Or Whatever the case is, we know simple disagreements can become arguments. Arguments can become hostilities. And over time, relationships can be severed, broken. And instead of relationships, you have hostility. The Bible paints a beautiful picture that on the other side of hostility can be the idea of what the Bible calls reconciliation. It's a beautiful picture. So in Colossians chapter 1, beginning around in verse 19 or so, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a group of people in a city of Colossae. A real letter to a real group of people. Now these people that he's writing to have already experienced a, a reconciliation with God. And he's explaining what the idea of reconciliation with God is all about. So for us this morning, we're going to try to wrestle with that idea of reconciliation with God. What is it? Why is it necessary? And how can I have that? And what does it look like? We're going to wrestle with that this morning. So you can follow along with me. I'm going to read beginning in verse 19, just a few verses here, and then ask some questions out of this passage. Verse 19 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure. I'll stop right there. It's a reference to God the Father. And the translation could read this way, God was pleased. Something is making God happy, if you will. God is pleased with something. And here's two things he's pleased with. We read it in this first verse. He was pleased that all the fullness dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? He's saying that it was pleasing to the Father for the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... For all the fullness of God to dwell in Him. We know the story of Jesus. Jesus was God who was born. He took on flesh. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. And He wasn't just any ordinary man. Listen, it would be a little bit strange for us to be gathered here 2,000 years after Christ if Christ was just a carpenter or Jesus was just a good rabbi or he was just a neat Jewish boy. Jesus was so much more than that. This passage begins by saying all the fullness of God dwelt in the person of Christ. And he walked among us and he, he healed the sick and with a word he could heal 
from leprosy. And with a word, he could bring the dead to life. With, with a word, he could feed thousands of people with a kid's happy meal. I mean, he just had incredible power. He wasn't a normal guy. He was all man and all God. And he was sent on a mission. That's where we come to verse 20. And it says, God was pleased for all the fullness of God to dwell in Christ. Why? Verse 20. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile. There's the word. Jesus came on a mission of reconciliation. To reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, were the things on earth, the things in heaven. Verse 21. And although Paul is talking to this group of people what they were like before Christ, before reconciliation, he says you were alienated. You were hostile in mind. You were engaged in evil deeds. Yet now, verse 22, God has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Beautiful passage. Reconciliation. To exchange hostility for relationship. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. So this morning, I don't know everyone's background, and I don't know all that you bring to the table, and I don't know all that you come in here with this morning, but I imagine there's many of you who come in here and you, you know reconciliation with God. You are a child of God. You've experienced that by faith. But I imagine there's a good number of you here, especially on Easter, who would say, okay, I hear reconciliation and this idea of being an enemy with God. I just, I just need you to know something, Pastor Mike. I'm a pretty good dude. I mean, I, I try really hard. I try to raise my family. And I, I work really hard. And heck, it's Easter and I'm here on church or here at church. Does that count for something? So maybe you're asking the question why is reconciliation with God even an issue? Well, the Bible answers that question. We're going to wrestle with that and a few other questions. And that's the first one. Based on what the Bible says here, why is reconciliation with God even necessary? Well, Paul answers that for us in verse 21. I read it earlier. He says this. He says, here's what you formerly were. Speaking to a group of believers who now had experienced reconciliation, he says, here's what you formerly were before Christ. He says, you were alienated, verse 21. The word alienated is a, it's a strong word. The word alienated literally means to be estranged, to be cut off, to be separated from. The verb tense is also a settled condition of being in that state of being. In other words, a settled place of being separated from God. He said before reconciliation, you were estranged from God. Then he uses another really strong word. He says you were hostile. Hostile in mind. The idea of hostilities existed between you and God. You say, hold on. I mean, that's not true of me. I'm not mad at God. I mean, God might be mad at me. I'm not even sure. But reconciliation, why, why does that matter to me? Keep listening. She says, you're alienated, hostile in mind. I mean, when you hear this, it's a little bit shocking because this is enemy language. This is language that's used between enemies. I mean, you watch CNN or Fox News, you hear words like North Korea and South Korea were hostile towards one another. Hostilities exist 
between the two nations. It's enemy talk. So, Pastor Mike, I'm not an enemy of God. Am I? What's the Bible say? He keeps on going. He says to this group of people here, he says, prior to reconciliation, your situation was you were estranged. Your attitude was hostility. And your actions were evil. Now, how did they get in that condition? What got them to the place where Paul is using enemy language to talk about these people? Why were they in that condition? And here's where the field, the playing field gets really level and flat for all of us. Meaning, those in the city of Colossae 2,000 years ago, us here in East Tennessee today, all share the common problem. No matter your stage in life, no matter your background, no matter how hard you've tried, no matter how many churches you've been a member of, no matter if you've never been in a church, doesn't matter. The field is level, and here's it. We all share the exact same deep root problem, and it's called sin. Every one of us. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, And you were all dead in your sins and trespasses. Whoa! That sin is such a serious thing. Paul says, listen, sin doesn't just make you sick. Sin leaves you dead. The word dead there means separated from God. Back to that idea of being alienated. Who? All of us. Apart from Christ. And then Paul goes in verse 3 of Ephesians. I'll just read this to you quick. He says, Among them too, you all formerly, formerly, before Christ, lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging in the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature. In other words, it comes naturally. We're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You say specifically, what did this group of people here in the city of Colossae do? To be estranged from God. Ready? They were born. They were born. Point is, every one of us enter into this world with a sin nature that leaves us separated and at enmity and hostile toward God. All of us. See, I don't know, if, I don't even sure I totally get that or I even understand that. Listen, Romans 3.23 says, For all, Pastor Mike, what does all mean in the original language? All. All. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Every single one of us have the exact same predicament and situation. We are infected with a thing called sin. To the very core of our being. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Now, Pastor Mike, come on. Why are you? It's Easter, man! Easter bunnies and eggs and new clothes and new dresses. Hey, I got a new shirt, okay? I, I get it. Why are you talking about this thing called sin? Listen. I'm going to be as very serious as I can here to help you understand this. If we do not understand our soul condition before God without Jesus, the cross or the resurrection means nothing to you. Nothing. 
Oh, it's a holiday that comes around once a year, and maybe I'll go to church, or maybe whatever the case is. If you don't understand your desperate, not just sick, dead condition in sin, and mine too, apart from Christ, the cross of Christ, the bloody body of Jesus, gone into the tomb and come to life means nothing. To a dead man, life means everything. Let me say that again. Because of sin, we're left dead in our sins and trespasses. The life of Christ, therefore, means everything to us. It seems so unfair. I don't even understand that. I mean, how in the world could we be born into sin? How do we even understand the world and the way the world operates? We understand it from what's called a Genesis 3 perspective. The Bible answers the question. Man, I'm watching the news and I'm trying to figure out why the world is in such a a mess it's in. I scratch my head. Why is it? We have the answer. The Bible tells us we live in a Genesis 3 world. God created man, woman, mankind, perfect fellowship with him. To know him, to walk with him, to enjoy God. To have a purpose, to have meaning, to live in right relationship with one another. And in the Garden of Eden, the place God planted man and set them there, Adam and Eve willingly chose to live independently of God. And do their own thing apart from God. That's called sin. And that sin... And all sin was cosmic rebellion against God. And the world has been broken ever since. You're broken. I'm broken. We're all broken. In fact, why don't you take a second and just look at your neighbor and go, you're broken. We're all broken. Say, we're all broken. Now, some of you are enjoying that way too much. Okay, let them have a break. We joke about it, but that's the condition of the world. So what's the answer? I mean, we can look at the situation that the world is and know that the Bible explains it, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can look around at such a messed up world. Listen, here, here's another test. I'm a parent. I have five kids running around my house. I didn't have to teach any of them to disobey or to do wrong, right? Neither did you. In fact, you know the picture. One of my kids will go into the pantry and get chocolate, and they'll take the wrappers and leave a trail of wrappers and go upstairs, and chocolate is oozing from the side of their mouth. Son, have you had chocolate today? No. Didn't have to teach him to lie. Why? Because we all are born with the same condition, sin, that separates us, leaves us alienated. Watch this. Hostile toward God. Sin is cosmic rebellion and treason toward God. It separates us and leaves us as enemies. Say, Pastor Mike, that's so heavy. It's so heavy. Here's the reality. Every single person in this room has either been reconciled by God or you're currently an enemy of God. That's it. That's it. 
So hopefully by this point in the message you're asking this question, okay, then if God is talking about reconciliation here, what then does reconciliation look like? And then how is it possible? Let me answer the first question. What does it look like? Paul tells us, verse 20, he says, through the cross, through what Jesus did and finished, he is having made peace, verse 20, The word peace there doesn't merely mean a cessation of hostilities. It's not a truce. Rather, a complete and full restoration of the relationship with God and all the blessings that accompany it. It is our well-being again with God made possible through Christ. Peace with God. He goes on in verse 22 and says, Yet now we have been reconciled in his fleshly body, through the cross, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. See, Pastor Mike, this, this sin thing is so heavy, and you got me feeling all guilty like I'm, like I'm just covered with sin, and it's to the very core of who I am, apart from Jesus, because that's the reality. But here's what the Bible says. That's why verse 22 ought to jump off the page, and we rejoice that in Christ you can stand before God Holy and blameless beyond reproach. Meaning pure, clean, forgiven. Everything in your past, everything in your future, everything in your life can be gone. Because of Christ. Blameless. Above reproach. Above reproach means nobody could even bring a charge against you. It means the record of sin before God has been so wiped clean, no one could even bring an accusation towards you before God because we have an enemy that stands and constantly brings accusation. But we can claim Christ and say, no accusation against us stands in Christ. Forgiven. Right relationship with God. By the way, flows out into right relationships with others there is only one hope for the world reconciliation with God and then we're able to be reconciled with one another so all of this made possible in Christ all of this made possible so the question then is okay how is reconciliation possible I at this point, I'm beginning to see it's something I've got to have reconciliation. I see what it looks like, but how is that possible? Let me say something that might strike you a little bit as odd. Of your own strength, of our own abilities, of our own accomplishments, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to be reconciled to God. Well, that's great. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Because here's our tendency. It's at this point in the message, this point in our hearts, we start to think. And you start to go through, okay, I need that reconciliation. I want to be right with God. I I, I need that. And here's what goes through your mind. I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to try harder. Heck, maybe I'll even join this church. I might even come more than Easter. Whatever the case. And you start going through this litany of all the things you're going to try to do to be reconciled with God. Here's the message of the Bible. Here's what you can do to be reconciled with God. Nothing. And you say, wait a minute. That makes me feel very helpless. 
That's the point. You are helpless. God did not take on flesh and come and walk among us and live a perfect life, die on a cross, go into a tomb. Watch this. To help you. He came to save you and deliver you and do everything necessary for you and I to be reconciled with God. What has God done to make reconciliation possible? Ready? Everything. Everything. Colossians 1, we just read it. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Him, Jesus, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself. Colossians 1, Yet now He, God, has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. God, through Christ, has done everything necessary to reconcile us. God is just. God cannot wink at my sin or your sin. He can't look at me and say, Mike, I really like you because I like you so much. Mike, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wink. I'm going to give you a pass on your sin. That is not a righteous judge, and that's not the way God operates. There must be a payment for sin. No payment is sufficient but one, the payment of Christ. And listen, it's already paid. Already paid. Everything necessary for your reconciliation is done in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 10, I love this passage. He says this, for while, for if, while we were God's enemies, there's that language. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. The only way we're reconciled. Now to believers, he says this, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, we're reconciled. Death of Christ takes our sin. The life of Christ out of the tomb gives us life. Complete, full reconciliation possible through Christ. You want to summarize the message of the cross, of the empty tomb. Here it is. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. In fact, let's say that together. Ready? Jesus in my place. It's the whole message. Summarized. And because of that, the hostilities that existed can be exchanged for a right relationship with God. Final question of the day, most important question of the day for you, is this. My hope and my prayer and my firm belief is because of the activity of the Spirit of God. Some of you in this room right now are asking this. Okay, how can I be reconciled with God? Maybe for the first time ever. Whether you've grown up in church, you haven't grown up in church. Whatever your background is, listen, maybe for the first time ever, your eyes have been opened and you now understand like you've never understood before why Christ died. Why He had to rise from the dead and why it matters. 
and that we are enemies of God apart from Jesus. Listen, maybe for the first time ever, you get Jesus in my place. You get that. That's you this morning. What is it that you bring to God right now? Here it is. Ready? Need. Need. That by the Spirit of God working in your heart and in your soul, He, He is stirring a sense of great need. I need to be reconciled to God. And I realize I can do nothing to bring that about. What do I do? That's why the Bible says repent. Meaning turn from your own way. Turn from following your own pursuits. Your own methods of trying to clean yourself up. Whether it's religion or wickedness or whatever it is. Turn from that and say okay. Jesus. That's it. Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. Are you ready to turn from self? Christ everything necessary I want to ask everyone in the room just to bow your head for a moment close your eyes and the reason I'm doing that is because I don't want us to be distracted I'm not going to manipulate I'm not going to put any pressure on you I'm going to hold out the truth of what the Bible says and then trust you to respond to God I'm convinced God is at work in this room right now and He's stirring the hearts and lives of some of you to realize your need. Here's what the Bible says. God demonstrates His own love toward us. He puts it on display. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God, God, so loved that He gave. He gave. He did it. His only Son that whoever would believe would believe. Now listen. What's my response to God this morning? You ready? Faith. Faith. Believing. Faith means this, to place total confidence, to fix my gaze, to throw myself completely upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Faith. Right now I believe in this room God is granting some of you the gift of faith to believe. Will you believe in Him this morning? Faith can be expressed in prayer. Prayer does not save us, Jesus saves us. But this morning, right there where you're seated, if you desire to know God through Christ, you want to be reconciled with God, I'm going to invite you right there to just pray. You're talking to God. You're not talking to me. You're not talking to your neighbor. God has you in the place. You need a Savior. You want to be reconciled. And if that's where you are, pray something like this. The words do not save you. It's Christ. But recognize this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner and you are my only hope. I throw myself onto you. I give my life to you. I turn from my own way. And by faith, trust, receive 
the gift of life, reconciliation, forgiveness, redemption. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Based on the authority of the Word of God, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that was you this morning, I want to welcome you to the family of God. We'd love to rejoice with you. Whatever decision you've made this morning, or maybe you have questions, we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. While they're singing, there's a little card in front of you that says, Get Connected. If you made a decision this morning, you trusted Christ, or you have questions, you can fill out that little card. Give us the information. Drop it in the offering basket in a minute. We'll follow up with you this week. Or you can take that card right when we're finished here, right through those doors to the left to the hub, right outside a team of people ready to meet with you. Or... Some of you came today with a friend. You know there's something different about them. You've seen a different life in them. The difference is Jesus in them. You tell them the decision you've made. You tell them, God has saved me. Or you say, I have questions. Help me understand this whole thing of reconciliation. They would love to talk with you over lunch. Maybe later today, whatever the case is. You talk to that friend. Father, we love you. We thank you that reconciliation is possible, paid for in Christ. We praise the name of the resurrected Son of God. And Lord, I ask you to continue to do your work in the lives of men and women here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you now to stand together, to sing, and let's respond to God this morning.